First Class Fatherhood. That is where Alec Lace comes in with his popular podcast. And one of the most interesting was on a podcast. Alec Lace interviews high-profile fathers from actors to NFL players with a vision to change the narrative of fatherhood and family life. Welcome, everybody, to episode 652 of First Class Fatherhood, a family-made media podcast, and I have got an exciting guest to bring you guys today. Greg Paul joins me on the podcast. Greg Paul's two sons, Logan and Jake Paul, have really turned the boxing world upside down. Greg's son, Jake, is taking on MMA legend Anderson Silver in a fight on Saturday, which is tomorrow. His son Jake previously fought a couple of fights with Tyron Woodley, another MMA fighter, as well as Nate Robinson, who we fought on the undercard of the Mike Tyson-Roy Jones fight. Greg's son Logan has fought one of the greatest of all time, Floyd Mayweather. Greg Paul's kids, obviously, uh, they rose to fame on YouTube, is where they made their name, where they made, where they became famous, but they have entered into the world of boxing, and now uh, his one son, Logan, has entered into the world of wrestling. Everything these kids touch seems to turn to gold, and it's no wonder why Greg Paul is a first-class father all the way. I had a chance to speak with him before the interview. He's my kind of guy, regular guy. He has watched his kids just build a massive audience, which is the key to all of this stuff. They have built a loyal fan base. His son, Logan Paul, Paul has created a, a energy drink or a hydration drink called Prime, which has become a massive success as well. And really, the sky is the limit for both Logan and Jake Paul. And I first became aware of this. Uh, my middle son is a big fan of Logan Paul. In fact, he was Logan Paul for Halloween last year. And, you know, sometimes my kids or my wife will give me suggestions on who to reach out to, who to get on the show. My son was asking me, hey, you got to get Logan Paul on the show. And I didn't, I wasn't too familiar with them. And I realized, I said, hey, these are young guys. They're not dads yet. So I reached out to their father, Greg Paul. I'm glad that I did. Very exciting story. And it's no wonder, as I said, why these kids are the massive success that they are. But as with any of this stuff, when you put yourself out there into the public eye, when you put your videos out into the ether, uh, there are consequences to that. There have been ups and downs as Jake and Logan Paul have climbed their way up the ladder of success, and their dad has been there with them every step of the way. Very interesting to hear uh, what it's been like to, to watch your kids go through this stuff. I know I have kids of my own that are interested in the YouTube channel. There is a lot of hard work that goes into all of this stuff. There is a big work ethic involved in it. I have found that out myself just from doing in the podcast over the years. So some fascinating stuff to see how Greg Paul has been able to kind of manage all of this as a dad and do it so well. So I'm excited to have him here on the podcast. Greg Paul will be here with me in just a few minutes. So please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Greg Paul was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So if you guys want to watch today's conversation between Greg Paul and myself, please subscribe to First Class Fatherhood on YouTube. Link is in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, if you guys are fans of the fight game, I have had several dads on the podcast here from the boxing world and from the UFC world. Most recently, I had Kamara Usman on the podcast here, and we have got a big UFC fight coming up in a couple of weeks between Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler, both of whom I've had the pleasure of speaking with right here on the podcast. So go through the archives of the show. Uh, you'll see so many of the UFC dads that have joined me on the podcast, as well as uh, boxing legend James Buster Douglas, who has been here. We know, obviously... Uh, 
famous for knocking out Mike Tyson. I actually did the interview with Buster Douglas uh, 30 years to the day that he knocked out Mike Tyson. It was really cool to get a chance to speak to him on that day in particular. So go through the archives of the show. You'll see all of the fighters that I've had on the podcast here. And I have been getting some tremendous feedback from those of you who have subscribed to the Family Made Media Newsletter. I mean, You guys heard me talking about this for a couple of weeks now. The Family Made puts out a newsletter every Monday and Friday. It's a can't miss. It's a no-brainer. If you're a father, uh, I would suggest tell your spouse or your girlfriend or your wife, the mother or your children, tell them to put their email in. You go to news.familymade.com. Just put your email in. You're going to get a newsletter hitting your inbox every Monday and Friday. It's a great way to start the morning off, whether you're, you're online waiting for a cup of coffee, you're sitting at the bus stop, uh, whatever it is, it, you can knock it out real quick and we can all use uh, definitely some help along the way here. We know this is a hard gig that we're all involved in here. So uh, there, so many other parents have so much to offer. It always helps. If you're looking for a little motivation to start your week, to end your week, get over it, be a part of it, get the Family Made newsletter hitting your inbox every Monday and Friday. Go to news.familymade.com and check it out. The link is also in the description of this podcast episode. Don't forget to hit me over on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace to find out all the upcoming guest announcements. Got some great guests coming your way. Three dads joining me on the podcast next week. Find out who they are. And if you have the chance, please help me push the word about this podcast. Every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list, let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. Father's Day is every day right here on the podcast. And here we go. Straight ahead, my interview with Greg Paul on First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now, First Class Father, Greg Paul. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Hey, thanks for having me. You're doing, you're doing great stuff. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. Let's start like this. How many kids do you have? How old are they? I have two boys, Logan and Jake Paul. They're 25 and 27 years old. Yeah, you know, some of my listeners may have heard about them. So let's get a little bit about you. Tell the listeners here a little bit about your background. A little bit about me. Um, I had an older brother, younger brother growing up. Mom and dad divorced in third grade. Dad was uh, <clears throat> in and out of my life. Um, when he was around, great dad, hands-on, crazy smart, but he was, he was too smart for society. He couldn't handle a job because he, he's got a partial photographic memory, and he can read upside down. He's really smart. So he'd get a job or he'd do something, and he'd see people screwing up, and he'd tell them how to fix it or make it better, and they didn't like it. And they didn't, So he was always, he was always unemployed, um, but he's an artist. He was able to make money. So, um, grew up, mom was heavily involved. Um, but growing up, I was kind of a pain in the ass. I was a troublemaker. I was, I was a hard kid to deal with and I was a middle child and a redhead. So, um, you know, uh, so that was part of how, how we grew up and, uh, aunts and uncles. My grandma was a very big part of my life, very influential. My uncles were around and, um, thank God for them because they were a huge, male influence in my life that you don't know you need <clears throat> until until later down the road yeah that's one thing i do talk about on this uh show a lot greg is the fatherless crisis and the importance of if you don't have a father finding that father figure so many kids can either find that in a coach or in a teacher or in maybe in the military with an instructor and some people they find it in the street and that's the reason why we're filling up our prison systems in this country with fatherless kids absolutely it's it's huge. And, you know, I, you know, with the divorce rate at 50%, I applaud all the women that are trying to play both roles. 
but a woman's just not going to fill that role no matter how hard she tries. It's just not going to happen. I think the kids, the males, the girls and the boys need that father figure, that male role model, uh, wherever they get it from, on a, and on a consistent basis, not from the new boyfriend or that kind of thing. Yeah, and it's never a slight on single moms that are out there. I always make that point, uh, Greg, to make sure I say that. Uh, oh, yeah. you know, I've, I've heard a lot of single moms say, well, I don't need a man. And that may be true, but your kid does. And that and that's the whole point that we're trying to make here. So and how did it turn around for you then? Take me back to the beginning of your fatherhood journey. How old were you when you became a dad? And how did that shift your perspective on life? OK, so <clears throat> when I was growing up, when I was 18, I was, I was a, a, a realtor. 19 years old, I was a realtor. Started selling real estate. And even when I was a young kid, there was a, a newspaper article that was written by a gal named Dear Abby. The older folks will remember it. Younger ones won't. Dear Abby would always give advice. I would read that column to get advice on life because I didn't have anybody to go to. And when I was started selling real estate, I was closely watching the parents that were doing a good job and the parents that weren't. And the parents that were doing a good job with the kids, I'd ask them, what are you doing? And over time, it became very clear that they were very consistent. Although none of them knew each other, what they did with their children was very consistent. So I decided to model that, decided to use it with my kids. And, um, and that was, you know, and as every dad knows, as soon as you touch your, your first kid, your life changes, like immediately, you know? Um, so that was part of it. And I can go into some of the things I did, but I, I don't know which, which way you want to go with this. Well, I, I got to say, I mean, obviously you've done something right here. I mean, your boys are obviously a massive success. They, they, they've had they've accumulated uh, such a, an amazing uh, uh, just presence on social media in our culture now that they, they've really, you know, it seems like everything they touch turns to gold. And I got to imagine as a father, you, how much how proud you must be of them. How, how was that watching their journey of where they from where they started, I guess, maybe putting up their first videos to where they are now? What was that like for you to watch them go through that? And what was your part in it? So, you know, my part started at a very young age with my kids. And, and I tell people this and a lot of people don't like it. But I say this, if you can train a dog, you can train your kids. And some people are like, oh, that's that's no good. You know, blah, blah. Listen. We all need training. You and I, both as adults, are still getting training in life, right? So with my kids, I had consistent rules. I also, they were doing their own laundry at 10 years old. They both dropped their first deer with a muzzleloader at 10 years old. They could both build a fire with one match at 10 years old. I had my kids working. And by the way, <clears throat> we grew up in a wealthy community. I happened to buy a house and a piece of property before the community blew up. But if, if you lived in Cleveland and you lived on the West side and you were like an Indians player, bounds, baseball, professional level, you lived in the community we lived in. I'm sharing that because a lot of the kids they went to school with, they'd get a car as soon as they turned 16. My boys didn't get that. They didn't get an allowance. They had to work. And, you know, things like they weren't, they weren't allowed to say can't when I coached football. If, if one of the kids said, I can't do this, I'd make them stand. And I learned this from being in the military. And I'd make the rest of the team run. And when the rest of the team was running because Timmy said can't, the rest of the team put so much pressure on him, he stopped saying can't. And if somebody dropped an F-bomb, the guy that dropped the F-bomb, I'd make him stand and the team would run. I only had to do that one or two times. So the same thing with the house. We had household rules. And, and they were like that because, let's say one of my friends came over and their kids were spoiled little punks. And they would be doing crappy bullshit. I'd say, listen. That's not acceptable in this house. 
We have household rules that apply to everybody in the house. So you might be able to do whatever you do at your mom's house or your dad's house, but that's not acceptable here. And I think that's where a lot of parents fail is that the rules get to be broken down in different locations or because of different people. I was consistent in my rules. They knew what the expectation was. Please, thank you. Appreciate you. When they started dating, I'd go, go, you know, make sure you meet the mom and dad. You have to go in the house, shake their hand, give them a firm handshake. And so from watching, doing, doing the real estate interviewing, I actually started writing notes for myself before my kids were born as to what to remember to do. And once I knew I was having a child, I actually wrote a nine page letter to my unborn child at the time, not knowing if I was having a boy or girl. And the purpose of that was, so 12, 13, 14, 15 years later, I had a better idea what it was like for me to be young. And when Logan was 15, he was getting really shitty, give me attitude. You know, like most kids, they think dad doesn't know anything. So I said, Logan, you know what? I knew this day would come. I said, before you were born, I wrote a letter to my unborn child, not knowing it was a boy or girl. Let me share some notes with you. And in the notes, I said, when you're 15 to 17 years old, you will become cocky. You will become a know-it-all. You will think you're big, you're, you know, seven feet tall and bulletproof. So I wrote it to him. I handed it to him. It was sealed. He opened it up. I made copies in case he was enough of a punk or she was that they tore it up. So I made copies. <clears throat> and Logan, like 15 minutes later, Logan's like, comes downstairs. He goes, when did you write this? And I go, I told you when I wrote it. He goes, no, no. When did you actually write it? I said, I'll call your mom right now. And I was divorced at the time. I said, I'll call your mom right now. Put her on the phone. So I called up. I said, hey, Pam, do you remember me doing something before the kids were born regarding an envelope? She goes, yeah. And I go, you're on speakerphone with Logan. Tell him what it was. So she told him. And that, and I had to pull that letter out a couple different times for Logan and a couple different times for Jake. But it, it gave me credibility. So, um, uh, that's incredible, Greg. And I know that just uh, from having I, my two oldest right now are 16 and 15. They're right there in that the, the whole stage. They're going through it. And then I have my younger ones that are uh, 11 and eight. So, they're you know, the kind of uh, different philosophy uh, applies to both of them as far as it goes. And I'm disciplining them. They're going through different stages. But I, I know just from. Uh, you know, my younger son, he's interested in trying to do, he's starting a YouTube channel and getting into it. And I, I try to tell them, my older ones, when they started doing it, like, listen, there's more to this than just turning on the phone, fooling around and posting. Like there's a, there, and I've learned it just over the last few years doing this stuff. Like there's a lot of work that goes into this, a lot of consistency, a lot of skill sets. So there's so much more into this than there is of just like, it looks like just, I'll oh, just turn the phone on and start fooling around. But you, your kids have gone from that now. What what, are you, what is your take on them getting into the boxing world? I know this weekend, uh, your fun, your son is fighting, I mean, an MMA legend in Anderson Silver. What was it like for you? Where did the boxing stuff come from? Is that something that you got them into as a, a young? Was that always in them, or did that just come out of thin air? So um, I'm going to back up a little bit because you had asked about how they get started. One of the things about these guys is, is they are consistent. A lot of the younger kids that want to get into it, they think they're going to turn on the camera and make it work. Jake did... 550 daily vlogs in a row didn't miss one you know what you're doing you're doing on a consistent it's it's a lot harder and here's where kids will succeed today everybody's like oh how do you keep motivated it's not motivation it's discipline they need to wake up and do it every day i work my ass off there's not a man my age will outwork me anywhere it doesn't they don't they it does not exist 
<clears throat> and my boys, Logan and Jake, they outwork everybody in the room because I had them working from a young age. And so the, the boxing thing, um, I grew up with the wrestling family. I did a little bit of MMA and some judo and jujitsu in high school with some friends of mine. And then as I got older, I met a buddy who was a third degree black belt. He was building a, a gym. I helped him build out the gym and we basically bartered. I'm like, Hey Paul, just train me. Let me work out. We did that. My boys started doing it. <clears throat> and then they were great athletes in high school. Um, again, always working. And then um, Logan and Jake had a boxing match against another YouTuber in the KSI, named KSI in the UK. So um, KSI fought him in the UK. Then he called out Logan and Jake. Jake said, hey, KSI's younger brother. Why don't we do a dual fight? Logan fights the older brother. I fight the younger brother. It'll be the UK against the US. And that's kind of how it started. Uh, amazing stuff. And, and your kids, man, they're just brilliant marketers. What they've been able to build up and do, it's really inspiring stuff to watch. Uh, yeah. So it, it's, it's just, it's incredible. And I'm sure that you, you must be so proud of us. But also what comes with that is the negative side of this now, uh, uh, Greg. I mean, also we're seeing, I mean, I know just from doing this, when I put out certain interviews with certain guys, I get just lamb blasted on social media. I know your boys have faced that. What is it like for you as a dad to have to sit there and watch some of the crap that comes at them from all over the place now that they are out there and they are popular and they are, you know, in the popular culture? So I'll tell you, when Logan was in um, Japan, he did this, I don't know if you remember, but, but he went into what's called the suicide force to do a video and their plan was to do an overnight haunted stay in, in the suicide force. And in, in uh, Japan, people go to this place and apparently hang themselves. It's kind of a common thing. Well, they went into the force and there's a guy hanging Logan filmed them. And Logan always had this nervous laugh where he'd be like, <laughs> and in football, his coach would be out at him and he'd go, <laughs> and I go, and the coach would just blow up on him. Be like, what are you laughing about? Don't you be laughing. Logan's like, I'm not laughing. So, he, so when he did the suicide force thing, he did that nervous laugh and it literally blew up. The world hated him overnight. I ended up getting probably, and this is no exaggeration, 10,000 hate texts, emails, things like that. My phone was literally just blown up for, for about 18 hours straight. My ex-wife called me up, bawling her eyes out. I'm getting off. I'm removing everything, all this crap. I'm like, no, don't. And I said, Jake, what do we do? Jake goes, don't worry about it. In four days, I'll move on to somebody else. It's the way cancel culture works. But I felt that pain. I felt that hurt. I felt all the stuff. As a result of that, I've been coaching other people that do it. And, I, and the biggest thing is this. Don't give in. Don't cave. They will move on. And if you give them any fuel to the fire, they dig in harder. So being a part of their success, and, you know, it's the hard part is, is that early on, um, Everybody has a target on them for quick money. And <clears throat> their part is in Hollywood. In my opinion, Hollywood's armpit of the world. Um, managers will call moms or dads that get involved. They call them momagers or dadagers. And they strongly discourage us being involved because they know that we truly have their best interest. And they don't like that because then they can't make their money. They can't get their friend to come in the deal. They, they're not able to skim off of, get 10% off of 12 different people. So it was hard. And uh, I mean, at one point, Jake's monthly expenses were like 290,000 a month. And it was just crazy because 
<clears throat> he was spending $700,000 on security. He didn't even know it because he was so busy making money. And I go and talk to his business managers. And I'm like, well, why do we have this? Why do, why do we have two security guards with, with guns walking around the property when two people have breached his property while they were there? So I ended up, I actually quit what I was doing in Cleveland and went and saved Jake. I rescued him. I fired everybody. It was, it was crazy. Um, and now they're in a better place. They're, they're still, you know, they're, they've experienced losses. They're maturing. Um, but they still want to try to listen to people around them and the people around them like that because they know that I'm always going to service my kids with the best intent. Yeah, well, you know what's important too, Greg, you say he's still learning. We're also, like you said earlier on, and we were talking, you're still training, you're still learning. I mean, I think if you stop doing that, you're in a, you're, you're in a lot of trouble. And I think even from interviewing guys like, I mean, hell, even like Jocko Willing, I had him on the show. He's a guy that'll tell you, hey, I'm still learning. He has people that he listens to. So if a guy like that is doing it, uh, there's no reason why you shouldn't be. But I know that one of the things that's that destroys a lot of people is when they, the fame does happen and it does uh, blow up on them. They're not equipped to handle what's coming at them from all these different angles. And one of them is the financial uh, situation, because we do such a piss poor job in this country uh, of teaching kids financial literacy as they're coming through the pipeline. They have virtually no idea how to invest how to uh, value a dollar. So it's like they start from behind the eight ball and then all of a sudden now they got more money than they could think of. And it really puts them in handcuffs where you think, oh, I have all this money. I can do what I want now. Very quickly, that money all goes back into the same pockets. It really does. And the other part is, you know, like Jake didn't finish his senior year in high school. He came out to Hollywood. He was living with Logan. We made him finish um, through online schooling. And, And the only reason Disney hired Jake because they interviewed him, they were going to get him for the job, all this stuff. And they said, hey, we need to see a diploma. So we were able to send him an actual <clears throat> recognized online schooling diploma for him to work with Disney, which really started to launch. Um, but it's also hard because you're in Hollywood. And, you know, where we lived in Cleveland, we had a good sized house, good sized lot. We we're on the upper echelon of the neighborhood, so to speak. We come out to Hollywood at 18 years old, women, cars, choppers, all the stuff and money. They literally were losing their head. And it was happening so fast that, you know, I've said to people, I go, man, if I was 18 years old and at my time when I was younger like that and I had all the money and all the stuff they had at the same time, I probably would have been found dead with lines of blow, alcohol, you know all the bullshit that we were doing and they didn't do that. And it was a struggle and it was tough. Um, But all that started with the foundation. They didn't see me drinking and partying a lot, you know? So it it was tough, man. I mean, it was, it was hard. And I would tell anybody, if you got your kids going to Hollywood, do the best you can to stay in their life because they're going to push you out eventually they're going to come around, but it's, it's still hard and they're making a shit ton of money, but they've lost a shit ton of money. Listen to the wrong people. <laughs> yeah. That, that'll make you listen and grow up real quick. I guess when that starts happening. So uh, what about as far as this, uh, the fight this weekend here, what are you going to, I would imagine you're going to be there live. Jake's fighting Anderson Silva. What's your take on the fight? What, what can we expect to see here? So, um, you know, it's, it's definitely Jake's toughest fight. 
I mean, I don't know if you know this, but, but there's a picture online with Jake and Logan with Anderson Silver when they were like 10 and 11 years old. Incredible, yeah. That was in Cleveland. That was a fight that we helped set up. So to see Jake fighting someone like Anderson absolutely blows my mind. And, and it's kind of crazy because these guys keep doing things that blow my mind. When Jake fought Tyrone Woodley in Cleveland, Logan and I were below the elevator when Jake was walking out. And, and all of our families in the stands and Logan goes, dad, is this, is this real? Or is this a movie? I go, no shit, Logan. We used to get pay-per-views and all the people in the stands were in my house watching Tyrone and we're eating pizza and having a good time in a sleepover. And now we're in a stadium filled in Cleveland watching Jake fight Tyrone. Like it's, you couldn't make it up. Um, so with, with, I think, I think Jake's going to knock Anderson out. He's never fought a Southpaw, but he works his ass off. He's gotten a lot faster. Um, and, but Anderson is still dangerous. I mean, I told Jake, I said, listen, with Anderson Silva, if there's seven seconds left, that fight is not over. He doesn't quit until the end or he stopped. And uh, so I think it's going to be an exciting fight. I'm, I'm going to be front row. I'm nervous as hell, though, because – I know Anderson is a badass. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure, man. I can't imagine what that must be like for you, especially watching where you just came from to where you are now. It's so awesome to watch you guys' story. And I know the sky's the limit for your kids uh, in their future and what they're, uh, you know, they're going to do from this point going forward. And I would say this. If you were out in Vegas this weekend and you had to put a bet down on one or the other, who, who gives you the first grandkid here, Jake or Logan? Oh, man. Um... I think it's going to be Logan. All right. I think it's going to be Logan. And, you know, it's, I'm looking forward to being grandpa. You know, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, but, yeah, it, it's good stuff. And, and uh, but, you know, I want to come back to the, the whole thing with, with, the, with, with the fatherhood thing. There are a lot of dads that say they can't be involved in their life because of their wife, their ex-wife, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to call all those dads out that are saying that you're a liar or you're spineless. One of the two, nothing should keep you from your kids. And if your spouse is getting away, you guys reach out to me. If you're having problems getting connected with your kid, and you want to do it, reach out to me. I will help you through it. And I've done this for people. And I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll say, listen, I'm not going to charge anything, but if I get you going, you give me what you think is fair. And there's no excuse. Your kids need you in your life. And I took a huge pay cut. I was a primary caregiver for my boys and a week at a time. I took a huge pay cut to be in their life. I passed out on a shit ton of dating and women to be with my boys, to be at their sporting events, to get them jobs, get them working. And now it's, it's there and, and anybody can duplicate it. Anybody can do it. And here's another thing I want to mention. And I know we didn't talk about, but when parents are giving their kids phones, those kids need to know that that phone is the parent's phone. It is never the kid's phone. And the minute the kid says, give me my phone, you turn that phone off. And every parent has an excuse of why they think their kid needs a phone. That's bullshit. That's you being lazy. Shut their phone off. The minute they get shitty, shut their phone off. If your kids are getting crabby with you, guess what? You take the door off their bedroom until their behavior changes. It happens really quick. So 
Yeah, two two points on that there, Greg, too. I'm seeing that. Where, I mean, it's almost like a, a drug withdrawal when you take away a teenager's phone. I mean, it is a very, very high level addiction when you when, when they're playing with these phones now. And it's kind of and I, I noticed myself getting even more addicted to it, too. So that makes the social media. I mean, not the social media, but the phone technology even that much more difficult because I find myself not living the example that I should be because everything I do is locked into this phone as well. So I'm staring at the screen a little bit more than I should be as well. So hard to set that precedent. And the other thing you were talking about there too, I, I, when I talk about the fatherless crisis, one of the major contributing factors to this is the family court system in this country, which in a world where we want everything to be equal, uh, it is not equal as far as moms and dads are concerned. They throw dads under the bus and that's where they start from when it comes to most of these. And I, I, If I get one email more than the other, it's always from a dad telling me his story about how he's doing everything possible to get some type of custody, some type of time with his kids. But the ex is making it impossible for him. He's financially strapped. He's humiliated. He's going through it. He's trying to stay with it. But he's so discouraged. And that's where we're losing so many dads that won't do. Like you said, you got to give up whatever you have to do. You have to sacrifice whatever it is to stay in your kids' lives. So when I started dating, the first guy I dated after I, my, my ex ended up having an affair and left, and it was really hard on me. But after I got my head together and I started dating again, the gal went out with I said, listen, I got to tell you something. My boys are my number one priority all the time. It's never negotiable. I said, the week I have them, they're definitely number one. If I don't have them, the week I don't have them, I said, you can be number one. Your dog can be number two. My dog will be number three. I'll be number four. I'm fine. But if my kids need me, you're immediately bumped to number two, and it's not a question. It's not negotiable. And they go, oh, my God, I love that. I love that. And one gal fell in love with me, and six months in, she's like, this isn't going to work. And I go, why? She goes, because you're doing everything you said. And I go, what do you mean? She goes, I hear men say all the time their kids are a priority, but very few actually do it. She goes, you're doing it, and you're living it. And I got to tell you, when you first told me, I didn't think you would do it because most men don't. She said, but I, I don't want to be second. And I said, okay, cool. I appreciate that. I understand it. You know, um, I'm here for you, but we're done. So then the second gal I went out with told her the same thing. She's like, oh, that's all good. Guess what? She fell in love with me too. And I'm not bragging. I'm just a good dude. And I work hard. And I make it happen. I was about my kids. And I think me being about my kids was a high attraction for a lot of these women. But my point about that story is, is I sacrificed my love my vacations, my whatever for my boys. And everybody knew it. Nobody can question it. And that's hard to do. So along the phone things, one of the things I would do is when we had dinner, no phones, no TV. We could have a stereo on, but we'd always do, hey, one good thing today. And if we had friends over, we'd all do it. We'd like, tell us one good thing that happened today. It doesn't have to be with you, something you saw, something happened, blah, blah, blah. And the kids would love it. And I would have some kids go, hey, Mr. Paul, can I go again? You know, another thing is to bring the family together. And this might sound crazy. If you don't have a garden, grow a garden, grow a garden with your kids because they will see growth. They will see that we planted something. We invested time and out of it, something popped up. And then out of that, something grew that we could eat. And then we took that thing that we picked off the plant that we planted and we put it on our table and we're sharing the food. Gardens bring families together. And I know it might sound crazy. But it really does. Yeah, I love that, Greg, man. That's awesome stuff. And I, I want to 
move, I know I'm running up against my clock here, so I got to hit you with the last thing I love to ask all the dads. I think you probably touched on this a little bit as you were talking here, but what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about-to-be father who's out there listening? A couple things. Consistency, household rules. Don't say can't. Don't let your kids fail. Let them stumble. Let them fall. Let them experience what life is going to be about. With my kids, I'd be like, hey, welcome to life. Get the fuck over it. That's what I would tell them. And they didn't like it then, but now they love it. So, and 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 just, you got to be there for your kids, man. Just never give up on them and, and let them grow. Yeah, I love the message. Love your parenting philosophy here. This has been a pleasure for me. I got to say, GP, Greg Paul, you're a first-class father all the way. Thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on First Class Fatherhood. I appreciate you, man. Talk to you later. You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood. First Class Fatherhood is a family-made media podcast please visit www.firstclassfatherhood.com or www.familymade.com to find out more details. You can order First Class Fatherhood advice and wisdom from high-profile dads on amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will never depart from it. God bless, and I'll catch you next time.